Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, my partner in life, and my wife, Rachel Campos-Duffy. Well, it's great to be back at the kitchen table today, Sean. And you and I, I mean, this week has been really interesting. The last couple of weeks, everything going on in the news cycle, Donald Trump, indictments, things we've never seen in America before. Co-conspirators. Co-conspirators. I mean, we laugh about it, but it's only because all we can do is cry over what's happened to our country. And you and I have been having I think the same conversations a lot of other Americans are having at night after the kids go to bed, like, what do we do? How, you know what? We can't control what's happening in America. It seems like um, we don't know where it's going to all end. You and I talk about how do we, you know, unplug from all of this, maybe find a farm somewhere. Um, how do we, you know, remove ourselves from this or at least protect ourselves from some of these forces that are raining down on us, it you know, seems like. We have, and it's a, it's a conversation we have about our kids and how we protect our kids, but also you look at what these crazy lefties want to do with our food supply. They want to take away our meat, our dairy, want us to eat bugs. It's like, well, how do you make sure you can preserve a, a little bit of normalcy in regard to your diet? This, these are the kind of, listen, we, we set up at night and have these conversations. I told you I want a farm, Sean. I know you want a farm. I want a farm. I and want to buy you a farm. And then our producers... Give us this book, and it's basically how to woke proof your life, and it's by this really interesting young lady. Her name is Teresa Mull. Teresa, welcome to the kitchen table. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, before we get into how to woke proof your life, um, and and your message about how we can protect ourselves, as we said, from some of these forces that are out there, protect our, as Sean said, our food supply, protect our children, protect our spiritual and psychological health from everything that's going on around us. Tell us a little bit about your star, because it's very interesting. You have experiences with working with our 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 colleague, Laura Ingram, um, but you also have a lot of experience in the policy world. Yes, I grew up in a little town in central Pennsylvania, and uh, I thought it was the lamest place ever, as many young people do, and I couldn't wait to get out. And so I went to school in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex at the University of Dallas. Um, wasn't crazy about that, but um, 
then I ended up. Why? In- we Our daughter goes to University of Dallas. Oh, I love this school. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> no. Irving, Irving, Just, Dallas. Yeah, it is, Irving. It is kind Irving's- of like a, it's like a industrial complex. Yeah. It feels like one of those. Of. Yeah. It's kind of, it's not really. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. It's kind of an industrial, as you said, an industrial complex area. Yeah, it's it's uninspiring, I would say. Um, and the heat, I love wintertime. I I wish it would snow every day. I'm a weirdo like that. But yeah, whoa, no, whoa, I, yeah, I that, ma- that does make you a weirdo in my mind, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I talk very highly of the University of Dallas actually in the book. So yeah, and I, I, I would encourage everybody to to consider that school. It's it's basically the least woke place that you can go. But it's um, the most yeah. amazing university. Absolutely. Yeah. So I went there um, and then I ended up in Washington, D.C. I was dazzled by the the city life, very much a small town girl. And and I loved, um, you know, seeing famous people around and, and the glitz and glamour and all that. But um, I became disenchanted by it. I don't know if um, humans are are really made to thrive in an environment that's so fast paced and crowded and, and busy. I know some people are better at it than others, but I craved something smaller and something um, something more remote. So I ended up in Idaho for a few few years. I wanted to try out the the mountains out there. And I love that again, lots of snow. Um, and then I kind of got homesick. Um, so I came back to my hometown here in Pennsylvania and I thought, you know, I'll stay there, hang out for a little bit um, for a couple months and see where I, I land next. I was working remotely at the time, so I could kind of go anywhere I wanted. And I think during working- COVID, Teresa. No, it was before COVID. I, it was like six years ago. Okay. So my you, you my, were COVID before COVID was cool. <laughs> yes, yes, I was. Um, yeah, uh, working remotely is is not new to me. Um, but yeah, I thought I would I would hang out in Central Pennsylvania, my hometown, for like a couple months at most, and then go somewhere cooler, quote unquote. And that was six years ago. So I fell back in love with my hometown, with the small town, um, and ambiance, and and I will I will never turn back. I own property here now and I'm very happy of course we have our problems too just like the rest of the country but I have found that it's it's easier to live a woke proof life here for sure so that's part of what I write about in the book too is kind of advising people steering them toward places that they can go physically um, if they're able to so let's talk about a, a woke proof life and so maybe lay out what do you see the problem with the wokeification of America the impact that it's that it's having on the human being and why one should aspire So woke proofing your existence. Yeah. So a big motivator for me to write this book was just this sense that our world seems so angry and, uh, uh, you know, combative. I use an example a lot of times. We go to a take a trip to your local airport and see how people are <laughs> are behaving. Um, I don't know. It just it, it's not it's not a pleasant society and culture for the most part. Um, in in some of these bigger places where wokeness has really taken hold. And I wanted to diagnose why that is because when I was growing up, I felt like most Americans um, were pa- pretty patriotic. Of course, we've always had our political differences. You know, as far as policy goes. But we pretty much had the same vision for what we wanted our country to look like. It just, um, you know, we'd go about it a little bit differently. But I feel like we've gotten so far off the path of civility and just respecting one another. And it's uh, devolved into name calling, into canceling each other, into censoring um 
And that's, it's unpleasant. And you see what the fruits of wokeness are, and they're all rotten fruits. You know, it says in scripture, by their fruits, you will know them uh, regarding the false prophets. And uh, you look at the fruits of wokeness, you look at, at our current culture, and we have skyrocketing mental illness, anxiety, depression, or through the roof, obesity, addiction, all of these things. Um, and those are, those are uh, fruits, rotten fruits of wokeness. And I wanted to analyze how we got this way and to and to offer a cure. You know, when I think about how we got this way, I, I, first of all, I love that you use the analogy of looking at the airport. I mean, the airport used to be pre 9-11, by the way, used to be a pretty pleasant place to go. I remember Sean coming to, you know, pick me up from the airport when I was dating him and flying into CM or vice versa. And it was a romantic experience. It was a fun experience. People dressed nicer, had a lot more dignity about how they presented themselves. I mean, going to travel, you you wanted to look nice going to the airport. That has completely gone out the window. But yeah, people have become much more antisocial because of social media. Nobody, you know, our, we have a really good friend at Fox, Dana Perino, who who met her husband on an airplane. I mean, yeah. that's just not going to happen anymore because everyone's heads are in their phones. But I think there's another point that you bring up, which is the civility. And because you're such a nice civil person, and I can tell from, you know, just the few minutes we've been talking, you have this, um, Sean, Sean has this too. He's from the Midwest. And so sometimes they say things in really polite ways. And so you said, people are canceling each other. And me being Latina and a lot less civil, if you will, <laughs> a little more blunt, a little more blunt, a little more, a little less um, diplomatic in the way I say things. I don't think I, I don't like that term each other because initially we weren't canceling anybody um, on the right, on the right, conservatives, and as conservatives. And I think conservatives for so long tried to put forward very civil candidates, very conciliatory candidates. And it just got to a point where we're like, we can't keep losing. And then we brought in Donald Trump, Trump, who's like a fighter and and somebody who who in that New York brassy way. And even, you know, these really nice Midwestern farmers were voting for Donald Trump because they got sick of being walked on. So Talk to me about that part of it. How much of it is that the left has also pushed conservatives and Midwesterners and Southerners who've always prided themselves on their, you know, manners and, and genteelness and 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 sort of the way you and even Sean still talk, um, but have sort of given up on that because they feel like they, they can't win doing that. Yes, there's an expression that I discovered while I was writing this book um, by an author, Jonathan Acuff, I think is his name, and it is toxic empathy. And that's whenever you see somebody you know who's doing something that's harmful for him or herself, such as um, you know spending their money unwisely or drinking too much, or they're in a toxic relationship, and you know it's bad for that person, but you don't say anything because you want that person to like you. You want to go along to get along. You don't want to make a scene. You don't want to be the weirdo who, um, you know, stands, stands against the crowd. And I think that kind of mindset, because conservatives do tend to be kinder, more actual, actual liberals in, in the, in the true sense of the word, meaning that they are open to others and, and, um, truly tolerant. We have allowed wokeness to seep in because we do want to be kind to people. We do want to be accepting, but 
as you said, it's gotten to this point where people are sick and tired of it. It's gone too far. Um, we have been kind, we have been tolerant, but now that the gloves have come off, so to speak, I think a lot of people are really seeing what the true agenda of the radical left is, and it's evil. Um, especially with wokeness, they they now have drag queens, uh, you know, reading stories to kids. Um, one, I think it was uh, Press Secretary Jean Pierre said, "We're coming for your children." Like they are not. They're not pretending anymore, really. It's 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 out there and it's bare, and people are are shocked by it and repulsed by it. Even people who have been content sort of to sit on the sidelines. So yeah, absolutely. I think that Donald Trump for so many people was refreshing because he finally kind of stood up and said what we were all thinking and said enough is enough. You know, we've had these nice, polite, go along, get along candidates, and and um, and that's not working anymore because the left has never really been that way. And and look where it's gotten us to this point, this crazy point where we are debating whether a man can have a baby or chest feed, quote unquote, or if you should mutilate your body parts and all these all these crazy things. So, um, so Teresa, so Teresa, let me ask you this, because, uh, you know, so the answer. So we, we, we put Donald Trump forward. Now, Donald Trump may end up in jail as we're trying to vote for for him in the in the next election. Things have gotten so out of control just this morning. Sean and I were looking at. Um, you know, so many things that are even on our Twitter accounts are being censored. And, you know, like we ha- you have to click on it because it's blacked out and, and things that we actually know to be true. I mean, so there's just a censorship complex. There's, you know, they're 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 trying to control who who the, the Republican Party can actually nominate for their presidential candidate. Things are getting so crazy. And I look at your book, Woke Proof Your Life. And I, I do want to talk about the spiritual components and 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 some of your really practical advice. But also, it seems like you're suggesting part of it is we just need to. You know, I don't want to say check out, but what's the word I want to use, Sean? It's like disengage, disengage or just not disengage. But I mean, move like go to rural America, create a new place. Is that we hear so much about people wanting a homestead or, you know, to be in a, a, a community surrounded by like minded people? Right. I think it's about kind of building up your network. I make the analogy to being waterproof, you know, where if you're going to go out in the rain, you're going to put on an awesome Gore-Tex jacket and and a nice waterproof hat and some cool welly boots. so You can walk through puddles and not get wet. It's the same thing with woke-proofing your life. You don't have to hide from the world, although for some people, homesteading is a great option and people are doing that and finding great fulfillment and joy in that lifestyle. And that's certainly an option, but for you know, for many people, that's just not practical. So the book is uh, an attempt to show people ways in which they can build up their lives where they are and in, in whatever circumstances they face. Um, and to build up sort of an immunity to wokeness so that whenever you do go out into the world, into the storm, you don't, uh, you're not poisoned by it. It, it, the wokeness doesn't really make a dent. So, um, you do that through building up a strong faith. Uh, you put, you, uh, you build your relationship with God and we can go into that more in depth, but, um, you know, through education, through, through educating yourself with wisdom and truth so that whenever you do encounter, um, somebody who wants to debate something that's woke, you have all of this knowledge and wisdom from the last, you know, however many centuries that these great thinkers and and scripture and saints and all these wonderful people that I mentioned in the book have been thinking and solving these problems for us. We just need to reach into our, (laughs) into the the great literature and books and things and, and arm ourselves with that wisdom. So, um, 
yeah, for some people, definitely moving somewhere is is great. And I have resources for how to go about doing that. People who have done that, I have their first person accounts um, and how to surround yourself and build a, a like-minded community, but also how to do that in, in if you live in, you know, downtown Portland, heaven forbid, God bless you, but you can do it. You can do it anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, well, I can't wait to hear how we do that. But, but you know, so, so Teresa, I, I come from a small town as well in northern Wisconsin. Um, and I went off and, you know, I was in Congress for for nine years. I live in a little bigger town in, in still kind of central Wisconsin. And I do think there's something about being in a, a smaller community that actually builds community. It's easier to be part of that small unit of people who live in the same geographic area versus being in a big city. And I think in a small town, um, like Jason Aldean's song might allude to, it's easier to, to push back on wokeness. There's, there's, there's more, it's more real in a small town. There's more value in a small town. There's more faith in small towns, I think, than you see in, 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 in big cities. Just to make one comment that you, when we're talking about what's happening with wokeness, I just, I'm a firm believer that this is, this is Marxism. This is communism. They've used our goodwill and, and, and willingness to let them speak. And we want to hear what people say. And we want to have understanding, um, as, as good Americans and that goodwill that we offered them, they've taken and they've actually tried to destroy us through the goodwill we've given them because they've have, they have so much power right now. And so if you, if you're giving people advice and not, listen, not everyone can move to a smaller town or, um, you know, in the center part of the country, but is, is that, is that a big part of it? Getting, getting to that, to, to that smaller, more localized area, number one. And number two, just, I want to make a comment on this. So I'm older than, um, than, than you and my kids. And I was, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I was on, I was waiting for a plane and I got a reel on, on, uh, on Facebook and I started scrolling through the reels. That stuff's like crack. Like I was on for an hour and a half, like addicted to crack on looking at reels and it was, it was great. It was fun, but I'm like, what a time suck. <laughs> I do think you, we do have to be part of the world. We do have to see what's going on in the culture and you can be on social media, but knowing how addictive it is managing our lives and what really matters. We only get so many hours in a, in a lifetime. How do I want to use it? Do I want to have a cup of coffee with my spouse or my, or my boyfriend, girlfriend, with my parents, with my neighbors, or do I want to sit in my house and scroll through social media feeds, which is what all these kids are doing. And not only are they wasting their time, they're getting welcomed off the social media feeds, especially on TikTok. And they're not meeting other young people yes. and falling in love because it's hard to do that when you're just scrolling through social media. <laughs> Yeah, I have a big chapter on how evil big tech is. I think people might think that I'm Amish by the end of it. And I do live in central <laughs> Pennsylvania and there's Amish people around here all the time. Nothing against the Amish. I really admire those people and what they do. And I some days I wish that I had the the courage and the, the know-how to be too. able to live a lifestyle like that. Yeah, it's very attractive to a lot of people. Yeah, certainly, you know, I, I say that wokeness kind of lives online and dies online because it is such an easy way to bring wokeness into everybody's life. You know, we all use our, our smartphones more than we should. We all are kind of addicted to them and using our screens so much. Um, and yeah, like you said, you know, whenever you 
you're using social media and then you, you you're on there for however long and you look up and you realize, oh my goodness, there's a real world out there. There's a person sitting next to me. I didn't realize that. Or, oh my goodness, look at this beautiful bird and, and listen to his song. And we're missing out on so much beauty in the world and interacting with one another. And there's so many studies coming out now saying how bad screen time is for us and social media in particular, how isolating it is. And contrary to its name of being social media, how it's actually a lead leading cause of loneliness, the loneliness um, epidemic yes. that we see going on. And I just saw another study today about the harmful effects that it has on kids and the way that their brains form or don't form. I talked to teachers who have been teachers for you know 30 years, and I asked them what's different about kids now. And some of them say that kids now don't have fine motor skills. They don't know how to play with toys because they're so used to being on their phones. And that's so scary to me. And what that does, you know, we know that working with our hands uh, does wonders for our brains. Um, so it, it, a lot of what their I talk about- spans, the, Their attention right? spans. Their attention spans. It goes even further back, Teresa. There are now studies that, so nursing your baby, uh, one of the ways that babies learn to focus their early experiences with not just bonding, but even the movement of their eyes is- as they're nursing, they're looking up at their moms and they're learning their mother's expressions from the way that their mother is, you know, holding them and looking down at them. But so many moms um, are on their phones while they're nursing because we're so we also want to like, you know, multitask that mm-hmm. they're saying that the babies are losing the skills that they would normally learn through that nursing process of learning their mother's facial expressions, responding to smiles and, and coos, and then even their eye movements. It's, it's really, it's, it's really fascinating. You know, there's a, a study now that, or um, uh, some government officials now that are saying that they're looking at the loneliness numbers that you're talking about. They're saying this truly is an epidemic. It's, it's a crisis. And so their answer is, I know we're going to give government money. So to solve the loneliness crises by giving more monies to like community organizations and YMCA's or, you know, programs. It's like the answer is in the family. If you want to solve the loneliness problem in America, it's about connection real connections, not with volunteers at a at a place, but with families. And part of what you guys talked about with small towns, and this was interesting for me when I first met Sean, I didn't grow up in a small town. I grew up on military bases all around the world and moving around every three years. So I never really had, I have relatives that lived in the same place, but I didn't grow up with them because I was moving around. And the fascinating thing about moving to Sean's hometown when we got married was how deep and long these connections were. So, you know, Sean will go to the grocery store and run into the man who taught him how to drive in driving school in high school or run into, you know, um, his, you know, his pediatrician's wife or, you know. Fifth grade teacher. You just yeah, need- exactly. These are beautiful connections that you lose when you move to a city and you become anonymous. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big advocate of small towns and rural living for many reasons. Um I also caution against the suburbs. This has actually been a kind of a controversial thing that people have been asking me about in the book. I say beware of the burbs, um, simply because it's kind of 
I would say the worst of both worlds. I don't know. You have this sense of space, like you're kind of out in the country, but then you're also separated from your neighbors. And um, a lot of people, you know, they'll go to work, they'll go into town and use the town as uh, for its resources, but then they come back home and they, and they sleep there and then they leave in the morning and they go into the city or, you know, they commute back and forth. They don't have that sense of community that you find running into people, you know, all over town, whenever you live somewhere smaller, or even whenever you live in an older part of a city. Um, I talked to a guy in the book who uh, runs a website to help people who are renovating old homes. And we talked about how old homes were built um, with a, with the mind toward community and toward family and toward hanging out with each other and thinking thoughts and beauty. And even towns and, and old parts of cities themselves have sidewalks, they have city centers, they have parks, they have all these amenities and they're laid out in such a way that you are encouraged to gather and talk to one another and do all these things that we're not doing anymore. I actually uh, uh, cite an article from the Wall Street Journal a few years ago about the rise and fall of the front porch. <laughs> so you think yeah, about just simple, yeah, simple things like that. Houses are not being built with front porches so much anymore because people don't value that activity. They value a bigger garage more or um, you know, a room made for binging TV, a family room that has no personality is just made, you know, just sit there and eat your Grubhub and blob away on your phone or whatever. Um, so, but yeah, I just, it's such a great point. <laughs> well, Teresa, yeah. I lived in, I lived in India for a small period of time and that was one of the most amazing cultural sort of revelations that I had was that First of all, how intergenerational that really reinforced um, my love for intergenerational living, which, again, is something that we don't see in the suburbs or even in the cities as much anymore. But also that the amount of time, like basically you ate and then they just hung out on the porch. Well, because for I think, hours. well, now it's like you can go watch TV. Um, you can you can go on your social media. And there was a time like so I, I had an aunt when I was growing up, um, great aunt. Uh, her name was Amy. I love her. And we would always go to her house. Um, I never had a TV growing up. And I don't know that I've mentioned that. And we'd sometimes go there and watch TV. But I always admire your mom for for her. But the kids got away. I mean, they found a way to watch it. But but, but we'd go up to my aunt Amy's house and we'd watch TV and we'd hang out with her. And then but she'd always go sit on the porch. And and there was a time before television and then social media that people would go sit on their porch and then you might go for a walk up and down the block and you would see a neighbor on their porch as you're walking by and you might have a, a brief conversation or you would, you know, you'd be on your porch and someone walks by and you have a conversation with them. It was, it was a way that the community kind of stayed in touch, but it was a slower pace. But to your point, people weren't as lonely. They were more connected. Mm -hmm. They had more relationships and you might go, well, yeah, but they knew everybody's business in these, in these <laughs> towns and there was less privacy. Yeah. There, there's probably some truth to that, but there was, there, there's real connections that brought meaning in life. And there was probably more fulfillment in life that was a, a little bit slower paced and a little less technology driven. <laughs> That's so funny. Cause I read this book once it wasn't a book. I'm sorry. It was an article. It was a long article and it was titled Teresa in the defense of gossiping and <laughs> something to that effect. And it was basically like, like, for example, the person who walked, you know, walking along and, and, and they see somebody on the porch that actually they said, you know, so-and-so's uncle, you know, so-and-so down the street fell ill and blah, 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 blah. And so that may seem like a gossipy thing, but actually now everyone knows that so-and-so's ill and people might bring something by 
or you know, oh, guess what? So-and-so's son is doing drugs. And then you go, oh, well, maybe I, maybe I should make sure my kid's not hanging out with that kid. Or, you know, there are, it, there's this thing that like, and it goes back to what you originally said, like, we're so afraid of, of judgment, right? Like, no, we don't want to be cu- accused of being judgy and we don't want to engage it. But sometimes the information is power too, right? Information gives you, you know, a, 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 the ability to make calls about your life or what you should do for somebody else or how you should protect your child. And so I'm not saying that I think we should all gossip, but I'm saying that that kind of communal information that was shared, as you described, Sean, and you describe as well, Teresa, um, connects us and also informs of, of how to help or protect each other. Yeah, it's kind of like a sitcom where I live here, where we walk in a local <laughs> diner and you know everybody and you know this person's annoying tics or you know that this guy's really good at woodworking or whatever. And it's it's really, it's useful, but it's also, it's it, it can be really beautiful, of course, gossiping if it's, you know, for... For, to be mean is is not to be encouraged, obviously. But yeah, um, I just talked to a family whose son um, was diagnosed with cancer and he's doing very well with treatment. But he told me, you know, in a big city, I'm just another kid with cancer. But here, I'm a superhero. I can't walk through uh-huh. the local parade without seeing complete strangers cheering for me. They know my name. They're wearing bracelets in my honor. There have been so many fundraisers for him. Um and the outpouring of support is just amazing from from just community members who care about him because it is a small, tight knit place. And whenever one of us is hurting, all of us is hurting and uh, we tend to, to step up and take care of each other. So, yeah, absolutely. And then, um, you know, there's there's a, a couple little old men who walk around town. And and if one of us, you know, we kind of keep an eye out and we're used to seeing these people and, and keeping an eye on them and and taking care of them in the winter and things like that. They're bachelors. They live alone. And if you don't see them for a few days, there's actually a lady at the, the local cafe who will call them up and say, hey, are you OK? And if they need to be sent a meal or something, they're under the weather, she'll take care of that. And not to say that you don't have that in other places, but I think it's it's a lot easier. And uh, there's there's studies that prove that um, people who live in smaller communities are more likely to call their neighbors their friends, um, whereas yeah. people who who live you know where there's millions and millions of people, you're not going to pay attention and talk to every single person. It's just impractical. They're separated and, by so many, right. or separated in that suburban way that we so describe. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Since the 1970s, working-class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. So, Teresa, you've, you, 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 you had this vision for this book and, you know, you, you met some people and then you met more people and interviewed even more people and expanded this web of 
you know, of interviewing people about how to de-wokeify your life. So what what have you learned? We're kind of talking about some of the, whether we're talking about, you know, being, you know, living in a smaller town or being more neighborly, getting off social media, but what did you learn uh, lesson-wise on what people should do to, to, to de-wokeify their life, protect themselves and their families? I think the biggest takeaway I had was that it's easier than you might think. Whenever I first had the the inspiration for this book, I thought, oh my goodness, where am I going to find enough people? Or, you know, it's going to be a little difficult to to find everyone I need who's doing all the things that I want to write about. And it was so easy. It was almost overwhelming. There's so many people I spoke to that I didn't get to include in the book. I, I would still be writing it. You know, it'd be like a million pages long because <laughs> there are more people out there who are traditional, who are non-woke and who I describe in the book are normal. You know, people who just want to live their lives, love their family, provide for each other and live that sort of front porch lifestyle. Um, But the woke movement and the puppet masters rely on people to be lonely, to be, to have their mental health Mm. compromised, to look inside to themselves, to be on social media and to be miserable um, and not to hang out with each other. Um, Because whenever you, you interact in real life, you realize that most people don't care about the color of your skin or what your sexual identity is. You know, they just, they want to have a pleasant interaction with you. And um, whenever you're doing that, in real life, it kind of takes the wind out of the woke sails. So they're counting on us to be lonely and for us to think that you're the only one. And that is far from the truth. There are millions of people who think just like you and who are already living this woke proof kind of lifestyle. And once you start seeking them out, it's pretty easy to find a community. You just, you know, I found one person who homeschooled her child and she said, oh, you have to talk to Janice. And then Janice had five contacts. And then, you know, it just, it snowballed from there. the same thing with so many of the people who have started their own small businesses because they didn't want to w- work for woke corporations, I, people who have been canceled and are now thriving despite that. Um, so that was something I, I really want people to take away is that if if you have the will and um, you find and you're determined to build a community of people who are going to help you lead a virtuous, uh, woke-free life, woke-proof life, um, that it can be done. And don't fall for the the woke narrative that is so loud and persistent uh, in social media and on the mainstream news because it is loud. They are well-funded, but they're actually the minority, at least for now. So uh, so don't listen to the lies. Yeah, they are the minority for now. I think the answer is protecting our kids So because I think they are the most vulnerable, the most likely to fall into um, this lifestyle, this mindset. And so I think that's really, it's, that's why Sean and I talk so much about kids and sending them to great schools. I mean, I I don't think it's a coincidence that you are who you are because of the university of Dallas and the way you think and the kind of well-rounded classical education that you received. I think that's really important. Um, I also think that Sean and I've had the advantage. I mean, you say, you say you're, you're not alone and it's true. We're not alone. And Sean and I have this advantage of, of realizing this from the work we do, because every single day, it doesn't matter where we go, where we're at. Uh, we could be at the post office, at the grocery store. We could be at church. We could be anywhere we're at. We have people that come up to us and say, thank you for saying what I think. And so we know those people are out there. We're overwhelmed. Um, sometimes it's just sometimes we're calling the bank or or uh, an airline, you know, booking a ticket. Sean had an experience the other day of trying to book a ticket and they recognized his name and said, uh, I 
just need to tell you, I love what you're saying. And I, I feel like you're speaking for me. And I think what we always say to people in response is, you know, thank you. We appreciate that. We, that feedback helps us know that, you know, we're really trying to represent, but also don't, um, you know, don't lend your voice just to us. You've got to do it yourself. Don't expect, uh, what's the word I want to use sub. Um, there's a, there's a word I'm trying to, to, to use here and it's, it's, it's eluding me. And I know the word. Sub, and I, I want to say subcontract, but that's not the word I want. Um, but yeah, you can't subcontract your voice to Fox News pundits or to Teresa Mull. You know, you, you got to you have to use it your own voice. You talk about church and, you know, that's a place where you can have community, even if you're in a city. Right. Yes, that's a great place to start. And that's uh, that's the first step I advise people is to seek ye first and to, and to grow your relationship with God. And whenever you're seeking a community of like-minded people, you know, it can, if you do live somewhere that's pretty woke, um, you know, it can be like finding a needle in a haystack. But um, yeah, find a church community that has the traditional values that you're seeking. Go to that church, go to the little picnics that they have afterwards, start talking to people after services. Um, get involved and and also pray about it because um, you know if if God puts it in your heart that he, that you want to live an alternate lifestyle that will bring you closer to Him and rejects the rotten woke culture, um, He's certainly going to help you find that. So yes, uh, church is a wonderful place to start. We know that people who are involved in their church communities are happier, healthier, and more optimistic. Anybody who who is involved in their church knows that from personal experience, but there's also, again, scientific studies. We had to get some Harvard researchers or something to tell us that going to church is good for us. We couldn't just <laughs> believe it ourselves from experience, <laughs> but um, they also Faith have- Community-wise, yes. Yes. Yeah. And it makes you less stressed. It makes you- um, uh, just, uh, just able to ha handle the stressors of life more easily. Whenever you have, have that faith that God is taking care of you and taking care of your family and community. And, and yeah, you, you build up that network. You have people to lean on whenever times get tough kind of goes back to that. If you don't live in a small town, you don't have that, that physical network right all around you to lean on whenever, whenever you're struggling with something. But if you have a church community, those are people that you can call in times of need. Um, so certainly purpose we're we're, 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 mm -hmm. we're here um on a mission uh to, right. to hopefully as rachel will say get to heaven and i agree with her that's that's what we're here for and if you don't think that's a mission if you don't have faith that all there is in the world in your life is this earth you might think differently about how you live your life but if you think there's there's an afterlife um and how you live your life today will dictate whether you make it there. You might make different choices and decisions in your life that are really meaningful for the kind of person you are, the kind of parent you are, the kind of child you are, the kind of community member you are. And church is a reminder of, of why we're here. I wanna ask you a question though. So um, if there's a lot of young people who will say, you know what, I wanna go see the world. I wanna live in New York City or Miami and you know the, the glitz and the glam and, you know, and I get that. And people should experience those things, especially at a young age. But you came back to a small town. How does if, if you're if you're single, most people would say, well, that's the last place I want to go. Because I can't meet anybody. A lot of people think I can't anybody. meet an, that's uh, right. someone. I'm not going to go to a small town because my love life will will die there. So can you can can people find love and connection in a small town or of all the young people that are available? Have they left the small town? 
If you guys never questions. watched a Hallmark movie, you know that whenever you come <laughs> back every Christmas, you reunite yeah, with your high so school flame. That's yeah. so true. I would say it is certainly a little bit more challenging. Um, uh, but again, I don't know. I, I have a deep faith. And I think that if God is calling you to live somewhere smaller, that he's doing it for a reason and that he He does intend you to be married, um, that he will put the right person in your life at the right time. Um but yeah, practically speaking, I would say, you know, it's, it's a smaller, obviously a smaller pool of people and and the rural populations do tend to be um, a little bit older. Um, so yeah, it, it can be a little bit of a challenge. Try to try to find your husband at the University of Dallas if you can. <laughs> That's what I'm telling my daughter. But yeah, uh, again, you know, you can, you can travel, um, you can, I don't know, use Catholic match, Christian mingle, things like that. Um, those as, as anti-technology as sometimes I tend to be, you know, there's plenty of resources. Um, but yeah, you just have to, you know, be, be optimistic and keep your eyes open and, and really keep in mind what you're looking for. Um, we can get distracted by the glam and the glitz and, oh, he makes, you know, six figures and he has this really good job or a fancy car, whatever it is. But, you know, sometimes you can find people who are a little bit more simpler, but um, and more virtuous and, and just as good for you without all the, the glitz and glamour in a small town. So well, just, um, I'm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm grateful that Rachel didn't look at how much I made. Um, she wasn't <laughs> Wham. Actually, uh, the, the the engagement ring Sean gave me was so cheap because that's all he could afford that it the back of it broke in half. It was so broke, thin. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, those things don't really matter. I'll tell you this. You know, you, you talk about love life and connections. I mean, what we always say one of the best things you can do is let other people who know you and well help you know, connect you with other people that they think would be a good match for you. And so I think in a small town, that's actually a, a real benefit of being in, in a small town. People know somebody's uh, somebody for many, you know, many years, they're able to say, well, that would be a good match for so-and-so. And so there's a lot of matchmaking that happens organically in little towns just because people know each other. I'd like you to share with us one of the stories, because I think a lot of people feel like they can't, like, I, I get it. You can create community in your own you know, you can try and create that community in, your, in a big city or a suburb. You can go and join a church. You can join a club. You can go to a gym and meet people there. There's all that. But for people who want to start a new life somewhere else, it can feel very daunting. I know you have some examples in your book. Do you have a favorite example of somebody who said, I'm I, I just got to start start anew and and how they did it and what their fears were or anything like that? Yeah, I talked to this wonderful family. I think there are four kids and they're a young couple and they were living down in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, and it's growing very rapidly there. You know, it's not too far from Philly. Um, I think especially during COVID, it just really boomed and it's not, it's, it's right near Harrisburg. So it's just, it's growing really rapidly. And the husband and the family is working construction and he was just working like uh, 18 hour days every day. He was never seeing his kids. He was exhausted all the time. They were living in a suburb. Um, there were, you know, needles around whenever they'd walk to the local park and it just, he got burnt out to the 
the point that he was having so much stress, he was having some health issues. And uh, they had uh, a piece of property up here, not too far from where I live, kind of back in the woods. And his parents are from here. His sister lives down the road. She runs an organic farm. Um, this is, again, one of those stories where the, the people kind of found me or I think Christ put them in my life for this book because they're just kind of, it is an idyllic example. And of course, not everybody is going to have this happen to them, but it was just perfect for this this book to show how um, trusting in God and following his will is always going to reward you. So they did have a lot of anxiety, um, but they knew that they couldn't continue on this path of, of so much stress and busyness. And, and it's tempting to stay in that because he was making really good money and, and they had a nice home and it was prestigious and, and the schools were good where they were and all those sorts of things, those, those worldly desires that we have, but their hearts um, just felt called to a different sort of existence. So they took a leap of faith. They sold their home, they sold the business and they packed up and they moved up here into the woods. And the wife of this family is from Long Island. She saw the property whenever they bought it. And she said, we can come visit here. We can come camping here, but I do not ask me to move here. And she said that her heart was softened. Um, it was during COVID that they started visiting this area a lot more. And every time they had to leave, they would be sad about it. They're like, we don't want to go back to Lancaster. You know, it's so peaceful here and we get to be around your family and, and go visit the neighbor and, and get honey from them and fresh eggs and just this really beautiful existence that they discovered that didn't really occur to them until the husband and the family kind of had this crisis. Um, and it's, it's a crisis that we see a lot of people having. And um, I don't know how many people can consider like you you can move you can maybe take a job that pays a little bit less that but provides you more happiness you can simplify your life you it's okay to move home it's okay to rely on your parents and your neighbors to help you out they want to help you they love you and you can help them in return you know sometimes letting other people help you is a loving thing and so they prayed about it uh the mom the the wife and the family was afraid that her kids wouldn't have as many opportunities as far as sports and and the the academics of the school that they were in uh, down in Lancaster had you know, really um, prestigious uh, scientific labs and things like that. But she said, you know, they, there are some sacrifices that they definitely had to made. She, make. She had to leave her friends that she had made there. And they had a very strong church community there that she misses. But she she trusted the Lord and um, and it's paid off. They've they've regained everything they lost in Lancaster times 10. Um, and they're so much happier and healthier. And they're just they're thriving now. And I got to interview them and there were several times during the interview where both of them teared up and just looked at each other, thinking back on the life that they were living down there and and uh, and how grateful they were to be able to get out. What an amazing story. And I think those are the kind of stories that people need to hear about, read about. I hope they get your book. Um, again, it's called How to Woke Proof Your Life. I think hearing examples of, of other people who thought they were just destined or trapped in, in this, you know, to live the life they were living in this um, in an environment that wasn't edifying, that that their family maybe was growing financially, but not spiritually, um, not socially. And I think I think it's really inspirational. I, I hope people get the book. I hope they hear more of these stories. I hope you keep telling these stories, because I think people are are just in a mindset right now that all they can do. I mean, Sean always says you can't save America. All you can do is save your family. And um, and I think if everyone saved their family, then we would save America. And I think part of it is just returning to the things that matter, um, the things that last. And that's, of course, family 
um, faith community. I, I totally agree. That was the, the, well said. And I think to your point, Rachel, a lot of people are, 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 are thinking more about their lives um, and the meaning of life and their happiness and their, and, and, and again, their family and their kids and the environment they're being raised in. Um, and they're making different choices. And uh, uh, Teresa, to your point, I, uh, in your, you've seen all these families that are making different choices. I'm amazed. I always, I was, when I talk about this, I always preface it with, I know I'm crazy. And then once I say that, it's amazing how many people are like, no, 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 we're, we're thinking about, or we've done. And people see that, that what's happening right now, um, whether it's in culture, it's in the economy, in our government, in our politics, something's amiss, something's not right. And it's causing them to look for something simpler and more self-sustaining. Um, and that does come back to, to, to family and faith which are the things that last. Um, and again, that's why I'm so grateful that you wrote this book and you tell these stories. And I think for those listening to the podcast and those who read your book, um, all the stories, they may not be right for them, but you'll get ideas um, mm -hmm. and it'll spark your own thoughts of what's right for you and how you can, if you want, make some different changes or modifications in your own life that again, is gonna take you away from the things that don't make you happy that don't last and bring you to those things um, that are kind of human eternals. They've, 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 they've worked over the course of centuries um, that we've walked away from over the last, you know, 40, 50 years, we go back to them and it's remarkable. You might find happiness again. You know, it's funny. People are so different. Like some people, they need small incremental changes in the right direction. And some people, they blow they it all go, up. They're like, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> I'm moving. I'm packing. And you know, they have that sort of, you know, that Jerry Maguire moment, if you will, you're probably so young, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, but that there, there's that moment where you just go, you know what, that's it. I'm, I'm throwing, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm doing something different, I'm going off on my own. I'm quitting this job. Um, and, and, and for, but for other people, that's too stressful. And there are, and, and so I think your book offers, you know, examples of both those, how to make small changes in the life you're living. And then, looking at examples of other people who've, who've made, you know, wildly big changes, um, but all of them in the right direction. And so again, um, Teresa, it's Teresa Mull. You should get her book, Woke Proof Your Life. Um, read these stories, share these stories with others. By the way, families could do this together. I mean, if you and your neighbors are all like down with it, I mean, this could be a, a, a neighborhood, you know, one person goes and then we keep, adding, you know, more of the community who, who, who thinks alike. But I do think people are realizing that they want to, it's, it's sometimes just less stressful to live around people who kind of think like you. I mean, we think about this when we talk about marriage all the time, Teresa, we always say opposites don't attract. Um, when people, we, people ask us, should Democrats and Republicans get married? We say, no, no. Should you marry someone outside of your faith. Not always the best idea. Um, we think that it's just can be a lot simpler. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be close-minded and you, you you can't listen to other people's points of view. But um, at this point, we've reached a point in I think our our culture and our history where we need to we need to band together um, those of us who share these values. So Teresa, again, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Well, you are the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for writing the book. Uh, go get it and be inspired uh, by the stories that Teresa. Uh, tell us in her book, Woke Proof Your Life. Teresa Mall, thank you for joining us on The Kitchen Table. Thank you both. I think you're both pretty inspiring yourselves. We'll have more of this conversation after this.
Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. I think it's a fascinating conversation with Teresa. And we're not really trying, but <laughs> we keep running into people who are thinking like we are, of something's wrong. This isn't normal. And then it prompts my craziness to go like, what do you do to normal to to normalize your life to protect your your family because <laughs> this is getting bizarre um and there 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 are people thinking and writing and, and it's, living and living i yes. mean viewed john uh, john david uh, daniel davidson the other day and he had moved he was he was living in texas and he's he he moved back to alaska his hometown and he's homesteading there near his family. Um, you know, we didn't know that until we interviewed with him. And I mean, we're meeting people. We're, we go to a dinner. We end up sitting next to somebody who's like, yeah, I live in California, but I I just that was Eddie Bryce, uh, uh, Bryce Eddie, um, who said, I'm now going to live in, you know, I bought property in Idaho and I'm moving to Idaho everywhere we go. People are making these choices. And even on the small scale, Sean, as she talked about, you know, you look at my sister lives in in Arlington, Virginia. But what is she doing? She's finding little local farms where she's getting her meat and her eggs and her her raw milk. And, um, you know, there's people buying a gun, learning to shoot. Yeah, she's bought, like, <laughs> I mean, 10 years ago, my sister would have never had a gun. And she's still like living in a in, in a pretty urban area. But she's but people are finding each other in these little communities. And I don't think it's very far off between be, before my sister move somewhere rural. I hope, I hope we end up, we talk about doing that together at some point. So I mean, we were living rural. We came, we're still living rural in Jersey, but um, we're talking about so going I, into the middle of the country. Can somewhere. I add one more layer for you? Pete Hexet style. That's right. Pete, but Pete, Pete is still urban. He's, he's right outside of Nashville, but oh, he's got, but he's on like, a nice he's on a big farm piece of property. The kind that we keep talking about. The, the place you can, He's not a farmer yet. He's a farmer in the making. He he only has the mullet to show for it. He has a mullet. He still needs a tractor <laughs> to go getting, with that mullet. He's, he's he's got chickens now. I mean, he's Does little. He by, yeah, he's got chickens now, little by little. That's what, and and I think that's what's interesting too is, and you, and you can see this online. You can see it by people that she's talking to in her book. You know, it would be really intimidating to go. I'm going to go from you know, working in a corporate you know, office setting to suddenly I've got a ranch. I mean, like that's not going to happen. It's, it's gotta be incremental. You gotta learn. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not right for everybody at, at, at this point in their life. Like for us, like we're, we're sitting here in New Jersey, but we, I love, and you as well love to go back to Wisconsin. It's a small town. It's a small community. I have friends there. You have summer. friends there. We have family there. 
And I like I didn't get enough time there this summer, but I love to be there. Can I throw another? And by the way, we've also found those little. I mean, we get our 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 we get a, a butchered pig and a butchered lamb every year, and we we were getting our eggs fresh and our you know we find the farms around really us free as range well. Chickens and and cows that um, are free range and no GMO. Like listen, it's just it's all like, of us are trying to connect away from big food and and, and like this, five miles away from our house. So here's yeah. another point that I think people are not necessarily thinking like you brought up Donald Trump. Things are getting crazy. Donald Trump has been indicted um, in four different places. We have New York, D.C., Florida, and now Georgia. And Donald Trump is going to be convicted, not because the charges are fair, that he's not going to be convicted because these, this is justice. This Novel. is political. This is political persecution of a man they hate and they want to silence him. Right. But he's not going to win with a jury in D.C. He's not going to win. They with want a to jury stop us from voting for in him. New York City or a jury in uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, all really liberal places. So if Donald Trump is convicted, Donald Trump is going to be sent to jail. They're going to jail a former president and the leading contender for the presidency. So we absorb that as this is crazy. This is on. This is historic. Democrats have no idea how they're taking a wrecking, wrecking ball to almost 250 years of this experiment of democracy. They're wrecking it because they're afraid of Donald Trump. They fear Donald Trump. And they fear like, us is what they fear. You know, Sean, it wasn't very long ago. I was maybe uh, eight years ago. I was giving speeches about socialism and I always talk about Venezuela and what, what happened there. Cause I, I lived in Venezuela before this, the, the, I was, after the socialist revolution, but before they started to feel the real effects of it. Right. And so then things got really crazy. The mayor of Caracas um, was a really handsome, good looking, smart, charismatic young guy who was challenging Nicolas Maduro, the, the dictator. And they needed to get rid of him because this guy, his name was Leopoldo Lopez and they needed to get rid of him. He was a real threat to the establishment of the, 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 the socialist communists who are running the country. And they drummed up charges. What were those charges? They drummed up charges to get him in jail, put him in jail. He was prosecuted for inciting a political violence through protests. Okay. He was, he was incited <laughs> for inciting uh, violent protests. Does this sound familiar at all? Mm. And so what they did is they put him in jail and eventually they put him on house arrest. Um, a lot of people like myself and Senator Rubio and others tried to bring attention to this when this was happening. He was under house arrest. It was it was ridiculous. Remember, there were those riot. There were there were these protests, I should say, trying to, you know, the Venezuelans and, and millions were hitting the streets. Of course, nothing happened. Barack Obama was in power and probably like Nicolas Maduro, along with all the other, you know, Hollywood, you know, People that loved him, Sean Penn loved Nicolas Maduro, the socialist, Michael Moore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Danny Glover. Um, and eventually his wife escaped to Madrid. He escaped to the Spanish embassy in Caracas. And then he was able to to leave the country. He's living in Madrid right now. This is, you know, I keep hearing people say this is Banana Republic stuff. No, this is communist stuff. What's happening to Donald Trump is communist stuff. And Sean, you're right. It's not normal. The signs are there. And we're sort of 
slow walking into it. It's like a it's it's a revolution that's happening before our eyes and we're not doing anything. But it's important to look over the horizon and see what comes when when Donald Trump is convicted and Donald Trump is jailed. So our country, we have thirty two trillion dollars in debt. Right. And when people it's debt to us, but it's an asset to the countries that hold our debt. Right. It's, it's an equity that they uh, that, that they have um, against the U.S. government. Uh, and so when Donald and by the way, we're able to sell so much debt, we're able to have so much debt, we're able to fund our lifestyle by selling bonds because people think it's America. Right. And the rule of law of America matters to people and makes them more willing to buy our debt when it's so even it's so massive. They'll still buy the stability it. of the stability, the rule of law, um, the economy, the military power. All of it matters when people say this is a this is a good investment this is secure this is safe to buy us debt when they jail donald trump when they convict and jail donald trump the perception of america in an instant will be changed and the willingness of people to fund this debt to fund our lifestyle america will be seen as something completely different than what it was over the last century and the consequence is not just political not just between parties, not just one party persecuting another party. The economic consequence that's going to come because of the way the world will view the U.S. economically can be catastrophic. Not only that, militarily, you we always say, as Ronald Reagan said, we have peace through strength. The ability of, of bad actors in the world to challenge, to push, to do the exact same thing that Joe Biden did to, to Donald Trump that is going to spread across the globe. The consequences of this are not just Democrats prosecuting a Republican former president. It is going to ricochet all over the world in all kinds of ways. And if you can't see that, you're not seeing over the horizon. And that's why I think, again, in this in this deep part of people's hearts, they're like, something's not right. I'm making some changes to make myself more sustainable myself. I'm, I'm more self-sufficient. And I'm simplifying things. And we've ha we've done a number of podcasts on this, but there's something very real about understanding something different is happening and making changes before that massive change happens, making changes in your life to prepare for it is why people are moving to small towns, why people are buying farms, why people are buying gold and silver and Bitcoin. I mean, people are making choices that normally seem just bizarre, not normal, but today they're normal because they're protecting themselves, their families, and trying to preserve some way of life. And I like that this conversation that we had with Teresa and the conversation, frankly, as you said, that we've been having for a while, isn't just about the, like, you know, buying gold. There is a psychological, spiritual component to this, that the very first thing you have to get in order is your life and your family's life, your relationship with God, your family um, unit and and understanding that you guys are a tribe. And I think that 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 understanding is extremely important first and foremost. And then it goes, OK, how am I going to protect my assets? How am I going to sort right. of, as you said, economically simplify our lives so that when and if these bad times come, we have enough savings or we know how to, you know, grow stuff, food or we have, you know, a good relationship with farmers that We'll be able to provide, you know, the food that we need. Um, I think all of those things 
are really important. All those things. But matter. I think I think the 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 spiritual and psychological transformation has to happen first. And the awareness. As you said, Sean, we can be lulled into thinking that this is normal. This is I mean, this has been a bloodless revolution. Revolution has already come to America. We are in the midst of a Marxist cultural Marxist revolution, and it's going to have economic consequences, as you said. What we need is a counter revolution to it. But it first starts at the very basic individual family unit level. That's right. And um, if COVID would tell me anything, I would tell you that Americans are just like sheep in other revolutions. Going to the slaughter. Off the slaughter. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that we learn our lessons and go, you know what? No, it's it, what, what, what we've had, what our founders gave us is worth fighting for to think that this great nation would fall to the communists. I'm um, usually an optimist, Sean. I, I've always, we, you and I have both prided ourselves on being happy warriors. But as I see these charges against Donald Trump, and that they're left cheering them on too. They're they're excited. They're delighted. They're like they're but thrilled. That but as you've been pointing out, both on your show, The Bottom Line, and on all the different shows you've been appearing on, you are absolutely one hundred percent right in your frustration that the Republican leadership, those in Congress, those in Senate, um, even at a local level, the Republican leaders have not banded together more forcefully to say, to, to protest, to organize protests, and to say, we will not stand for our candidate, any of our candidates being jailed on trumped up BS charges, that this is not, you know, a communist state that we need to fight back. I think that you're right, that there is a, a feeling that some of these people have in leadership that somehow this is just about Donald Trump. That once Donald Trump is off the political stage, which, by the way, everyone's been waiting for eight years for it to happen. It's not happening. He's not going away. Um, he'll run from jail. But any in any case, when it's over, it's still um, they're going to go after all of us. Listen, was it was it just the 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 parents at the school board meeting that the FBI targeted? Is it just the 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 conservative Catholics that the FBI is targeting? Is it just the pro-lifers that they're targeting? Listen, no. they are tar this this for, for Republicans to believe that this is just about Donald Trump is naive. This administration, this deep state, the FBI, the DOJ, state prosecutors, they're coming for all of you. And you recognize with Donald Trump, it doesn't matter what you do. They can trump up charges that no one has the charges in D.C. on January 6th, the charges that came. No one has ever heard of those charges. It's like. Did you embezzle money? Were you bribed? Did you did you did you incite an insurrection? Did you batter somebody? None of those. They pull. They they stretched and cajoled novel the law theories into, of the law into making charges against Donald Trump. And it brings me to this point, Rachel. Every single Republican elected official, from U.S. senators to House members to governors to dog catchers, they should all be in Georgia. And they should all have a massive rally to go. You're going after Donald Trump. It means you're coming after all of us. This is a war against half of America, and we're not going to stand for it. And see how the media reports it. See how this actually energizes the the right side of America to go. We're not going to take this. Shit. 
Do you anymore. think that Kevin McCarthy, do you think that, you know, prominent members of the Senate, maybe you're not going to get Mitch McConnell because he's Old he's Mickey. part of the uni party. But what about Rand Paul? What about Ron Johnson? What about all the good guys? Here's what I, th- I, I don't know this, but here's what I think they're afraid of. They're afraid that if they have a rally, people come and if something bad happens or if the if FBI, the FBI infiltrates. infiltrates right and they get people to to act out all of a sudden they're going to use this moment of protesting the arrest of Donald Trump in Georgia as a January 6th moment to further solidify power to so further January alienate was affected, so if you it was effective it was effective so if you think in stopping conservatives from getting together because if you get together they're going to accuse you of insurrection they're going to do all kinds of stuff to so, stop us They'll dress up as Nazis. The the radical left will dress up as Nazis. Do you remember when they did that for uh, Glenn Youngkin? They do all all this nasty stuff. And so I don't think any Republican wants to have that rally because they're afraid the FBI will infiltrate and will instigate. And if you get any kind of uh, uh, violence or anything bad happens there, they'll be blamed in further consolidation of power. And so... By even laying that out, it's almost making the point that Republicans have lost. They've yeah, lost I was their just gonna fight. Say, you speak out while They've you can't. Lost They've their lost their will. Yes. Um, because if you can't stand up now, when your your the leading presidential candidate is going to go to jail, that he's being persecuted by the left. If you can't stand up now, what has to happen for you to stand up? It means you're never going to stand up. You're yeah. never going to push back. The it left, means we lost. And it means this is why everybody's it's going, a bloodless. Should I move to Portugal? It's a blood, should I move a to Hungary? Revolution. Should I get a, a, a homestead in, in the mountains of, you know, Kentucky? I mean, that's what people are talking about it because the, the leaders won't lead. Yeah. And by the way, it's, it's sad that we're here. It's it's sad that the, the, that the left has gone this far that we've gave them, we gave them that much power. And it goes back to what Teresa said. We're good people. It's like, ah, oh, well, we want to be able to hear them out. And yes, they have a right to speak. And yes, they have a right to organize. And yeah, they can be teachers. And all of a sudden, you let that happen. And those ideas have fomented and grown and taken over our country. Now, it's still it's, it's a minority, but it's a powerful minority that controls the FBI, the DOJ, corporate America, the military, uh, social media, Hollywood, almost all news networks. And so you sit back and go, I, I don't know how you can fight and win it. Well, you, but you the men and, and women that we elect should be willing to fight it. And if not, maybe we have to elect people who will. The only way to fight and win it on a, on a big scale is the you have. Box. Is that the exactly, which is why they want to make sure Donald Trump is not on the ticket or is unelectable because they think that we're too afraid to vote for Donald Trump from a jail sale. Um, but the point is, the only way is to get in power, get back in power, get back in the White House and systematically defund all of their crap, all of their DEI, um, take back the money going to, to, to state colleges that are indoctrinating our kids. Get rid of all the licensures, licensing of teachers, because there's no need to have a teacher's college full of Marxists to give you a license to teach. If you have a degree or you have a skill. You can teach kids. It's about going back and 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 taking and, you know, getting rid of, as you said, Sean, the, the unions and the federal government, 
uh, Vivek Ramaswamy right now is saying, I want to get if I'm elected and now he, he may not get elected, but it's a great plan for every and whoever does get elected. It'll probably be Donald Trump if we do get a, a Republican in there. You've got to fire 75 percent of that bureaucracy It is unnecessary. I believe in moving different departments into states, get decentralized the crap out of all of these massive agencies in Washington, D.C. that are controlling everything. That's so, the way you do it. So in the two agencies, and by the way, I'm for getting rid of the FBI. And I, I think they have lost our trust. I know you and I disagree on that, but get rid of it. Give some give some federal, you know, put some federal uh, uh, agents in, in states if you need them. But get rid of the FBI. Just so you know, if you're listening, Rachel is pointing at me as she's saying we're going to get rid of the FBI. <laughs> the fear coming down on me. And I could, bah. here are the Here's, things we fight no, about. Here, well, <laughs> get rid of the FBI. And also, Sean thinks I spend too much time on my phone. I, that's true. I think we do fight about, <laughs> we that. Fight about that. So let me just, I'm going to say about the Although two. I'll the, tell you, Sean, I've told you this before. There's no one I'd rather scroll next to than you. <laughs> I feel so loved. <laughs> you should feel loved. There's the two agencies that have to go. Uh, the Department of Energy. The Department of Energy is not about energy. You'd think, oh, that's about making sure we have oil Completely. and gas. That's about making sure they destroy American energy. It's about the green revolution. So I'm like, you know, Department of Energy, root it out, get rid of it. Congress, get rid of the Department of Energy and get rid of the EPA. The Environmental Protection Agency is not what the Congress envisioned. It has morphed into this behemoth that's destroying growth, um, destroying opportunity, regulating the hell out of everybody, and uh, it's it's if they can't if they can't do it by regulation, they're having their left wing nut jobs sue us and get in it through lawsuit, suit and settle. Uh, those two have to go. Keep the Department of Education. I don't give a damn about that because we have more power back in the states. I'm, I'm happy getting rid of it, but oh, energy totally get rid of the Department energy. Of education. I'm, I'm, I'm for that, but I go the first two. You shouldn't start with education. You need to start with energy and the EPA. Get rid of them and save American energy and kill the Green New Deal. Well, this is going to get rid of the Department of Energy. Get rid of the Department of Education. It's a it's an absolute disaster. Fine. Get Fine, rid of them. Rachel. Give the power back to the states. Every state should run their own. I'm prioritizing my my request here. Anyway, well, listen. We appreciate this. Sorry to get all at the kitchen. If you table. just bought me a farm, we wouldn't have to worry about any of this, right? <laughs> <It would> still, <laughs> she's knocking bottles off the table. It's getting crazy here. Listen, thank you for joining us at the kitchen table. Rachel's getting her bottle off the floor. Um, she's drinking water this morning. We appreciate you tuning in uh, every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, if you like a podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. You can always find us at foxnewspodcast.com. We love when you subscribe. You get a notice whenever our podcasts drop. Um, we love doing this. Love having our conversations. Love great guests like Teresa today. Uh, young people thinking about uh, how people are changing their lives to meet the moment that we sit in today in America. So, all right, good conversation with you too, Rachel. Yeah, I've got, scroll I've got, to, I've got to decompress now. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll, I'll just scroll through Zillow and find me a farm. How's that? Deal. All right, good everyone. Bye, Bye, everybody. Listen ad free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.